This episode of Laser Time is brought to you by Geek Fuel, and you listeners can go to geekfuel.com slash laser time and get a free Star Wars item worth $20. That's a terrible intro to what's going to be a slightly terrible episode oh. of Laser Time. No, it's okay. It is okay. I wanted, I just wanted to have Diana on to talk about one thing in particular that I didn't research very well. This is a bad way to intro the show. Okay. Welcome to Laser Time, the internet's, I'm going to say, 15th lead, leading pop culture show. We get you a topic. We try and find some experts, or at least we, at least we go looking for expertise, and we have a ton of fun sound clips usually to play. Those are still left over from the fart episode, which I probably just should have stopped at that one. We'll never that, die. That's that's my free bird. That was Hi. the ultimate episode. I am Chris Antista. Who else is with us? You can't fire me. I quit. Yeah. Henry Gilbert. Hi. Hey, it's mid-season replacement Bob Mackey. That's true. <laughs> I was a Retronauts mid-season replacement. <laughs> were you? Oh, I was. You were. I took over. Now uh, it's. I've been on the show for more than half of it. So. You were the uh, Ted McGinley. It's true. Hey, wait a minute. I was the... Uh, wait, wait. <laughs> The uh, wait was he the guy on Married with Children? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good. That's We're a good. good one to be. He was Married with Children and Happy Days. The non-Steve. And sports night. Oh, he was on. <laughs> really? They did his, oh, the show right. isn't yeah. about that, yeah. people. But be- second Becky, thumbs down. First uh, Becky Sarah was real. Becky. First Becky was real. Uh, Sarah Chalk was too pretty for that family. Without having seen it, how do y'all feel about the the Han Solo movie? Well, those rumors ain't so great. I feel like uh, Disney won't release a thing that's bad. I feel like Ron Howard will make yeah. an okay thing. Mm-hmm. Only the man who brought us the Grinch can channel <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> yes. I, I think they're going to cut around bullshit and garbage, and I hope... I at the very least hope when I see it, I'll go like, well, the actors were good around. Like, Woody Harrelson, awesome. Mm-hmm. Lando Cal... Uh, Donald like Glover. Donald Glover's Lando Calrissian, great. I feel bad if the story is that that actor is horrible... And that's why he was fine in Hail Caesar. But they say rumors the guy who played Han Solo can't actually act. He can't act at all, and he just got the job because Steven Spielberg said hire this guy. If they can cut around him, it's it's just an unenviable position to be like, hey, can you be as likable as Harrison Ford at his peak? Can you be that cool and charismatic? No one can be. Yeah. Be as charismatic as a Humphrey Bogart of his generation. Do it. Well, Do that's, it now. That's why we're talking about directors who have been fired mm-hmm. or left. Mm-hmm. Or, but the, the, what I wanted to drill down on the criteria of is it had to happen mid-filming. It happens, we talked about, it's a sequel to an episode I did with you guys before, uh, Creators Fired. We talked about a lot of showrunners. Show, like, you can't fire a director on a TV show and think it'll alter that much. You fire mm-hmm. a showrunner that will alter the voice and tone yeah. of the show. Yes. Uh, but the point is, bringing up Solo, which we have not seen, it will, not unlike Justice League, however that movie turns out, knowing that Phil Lord and Chris Miller, yeah. did I get their names right, were fired from the production, people who care will always wonder, well, what, which, would it have been? what footage am I watching? Yeah. Which version of this am I seeing? Mm-hmm. It'll always loom over the movie, and that's mm-hmm. why it doesn't happen very much. Once you have publicly announced you have hired a director, mm-hmm. you it's hard to walk that back. Though Disney has been doing it a lot more than they used to. That's they have, true. they have, yeah. but they but this is the solo situation is that it happened 
while the cameras were rolling. Mm-hmm. Like, there's footage involved. I, you here. know, I wonder when Solo and uh, their firing, before even filming began on mm-hmm. episode nine of that director, mm-hmm. I wonder if they did that because, in part, I think back to John Carter from Mars, where mm-hmm. oh. they should have seen there were problems early on in that, and they should have made changes, but they're like, no, we're standing by our director. And then they had a twenty two hundred oh, on million record, dollar... like bragging about how easy making a live action movie is. Totally, it's, oof. Andrew, and I, I, Andrew Stanton, I loved Wally so much. It might mm-hmm. be my favorite Pixar movie. I love Andrew Stanton. He shouldn't have made that movie. Is he, <laughs> is he in movie jail or not? No, he's still doing stuff okay. at Pixar. I thought so. I, he's in live action. We movie will, jail. That's true. He should. We be. will talk about Pixar mm. during this program. Oof, um, yeah. And I want to close it out with something. I wanted to finally drill down on the saga of Superman. One and two, ah. because that's probably the most notable example of this. Looking up movies that had directors fired in the middle of shoots, uh, I came across a movie called Rumor Has It from 2005. You haven't heard of it? Jennifer Aniston is that the one where she's like rumored to be? Oh yes, uh, yeah, yeah. The daughter of the woman in the graduate. I remember that. Yeah, that that Shirley MacLaine is her real life ma, a grandmother, and that she was Mrs. Robinson, mm-hmm. and that. Kevin Costner is the guy they based The Graduate on. And that yeah. director was fired mid-filming. I didn't know that. Uh, and that had not happened at Warner Brothers since Superman 2. Wow. There have been 30 huh, years the since the... Pro- That's why this is rare enough to drill down on a couple super specifics. Uh, but I don't want to. I don't want to talk about movies like rumor has it because who cares? <laughs> who, could, yeah. who cares? There's an interesting situation of uh, Philip Kaufman being fired from Outlaw Josie Wales, which went on to become one of Ooh, yeah, Clint Eastwood's yeah. more beloved directorial efforts. But it's rumored that that was over. Uh, they were both asking out the lead actress, <laughs> and mm. Clint Eastwood's like, "Oh boy, I called dibs." <laughs> uh, you know, one that comes to mind for me in a similar Clint Eastwood style mm-hmm. is Jackie Chan. Jackie Ooh, Chan is such a huge star that he. If he's in a movie, he can overrule a director whenever he feels like mm-hmm. it. And he he is such the force on it. Because when you're seeing a Jackie Chan film, you're seeing a Jackie he's Chan like film. A, he's a co-director on most of his movies at the very is, least. Yeah. And, and one of his regular directors, say like Stanley Tong or Sammo Hung, those two guys grew up with him and they mm-hmm. worked together. They are basically brothers, so they work together on that stuff. But when Jackie Chan made his return to classic kung fu films with Drunken Master 2... Mm-hmm. He had hired a guy who was an expert at kung fu films, who was also his co-star in the movie, and halfway through, Jackie was just disagreed with him so much that he fired his ass. His character dies halfway through the movie, even though he's supposed to be there till the end of the movie. And then it, the you can tell at that point forward, Drunken Master 2 becomes a little more stunt-focused mm. than it was before, even though as a film... It's amazing. I think it's my could be my favorite Jackie Chan film. Yeah, I got like a too. major theatrical push over here, right? Not oh, the first that movie. movie. That version sucks. Which, I can which, now say <laughs> ju- the fucking Weinstein's like edited it to shit, and they're like, "Oh, all this broad Chinese humor sucks." It's it's the soul of the film, guys. I'm sorry if you think it's lame. You don't cut it out, and they changed the ending of the movie by changing a subtitle. Like it pissed me off. So let's edit that out. Uh, Harvey Weinstein is a major. Patreon supporter, <laughs> patreon.com slash I love that time. video of that guy slapping him. That was pretty good. <laughs> but there's there's some uh, notable examples that we can rattle off. Um, just, I never heard of Miller Drake, hmm. but uh, I love, dude, someday we're going to, we're going to know everything. We're going to know, we're going to have the comprehensive 10 part documentary on Roger Corman and the people who came up around him, including <laughs> Solo's Ron Howard, but Joe Dante getting to direct the movie Piranha because he was the editor of the trailers. At, at Roger Corman Studios, he got boosted up to director. 
Directed one movie with Corman, you bounce out. That's the rule. Corman yeah. is alive, right? Romero yes, is. is dead. Okay. You make a successful movie with Roger Corman, you go on to become a director. They made Piranha 2. Miller Drake was hired to be the director. Allegedly mid-filming, he got ousted, and they mm-hmm. installed the special effects supervisor, who was a young man named James Cameron. Wow. Without without the director being fired. So James Cameron's first movie is a result of a director being fired mid-film. We won't be talking about stuff like Ant-Man, because mm-hmm. I don't think Edgar Wright ever got anything in the can. I went... And, look back on that and it was so weird that like because so, I love Edgar Wright and I do love my Marvel movies but we all saw that drama where he quit and was replaced by Peyton Reed mm-hmm. and I think the final product speaks to why and we you don't really know why he left except no. that he's like creative differences but I think the fact that like Edgar Wright did four or five passes on that script shepherded the project in two weeks I found another director and hit their release statement he wasn't all that important to the process Anyway, no. and that's probably why he quit. Marvel yeah. just wanted a film, mm-hmm. so they put it out. They're like, they don't, they don't want an Edgar Wright film. If Edgar Wright wants to make a Marvel film, and good, but all they your styles want... and camera angles. Yeah. Let's not delay this any further. Yeah. They built a machine. They just want you to run the machine. And push all the buttons they made. I think Ant Man is a pretty great film. Yeah, but it's real good. I would let it die in a fire to watch the first half of Baby Driver again. So it's 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 a good thing. Fuck that baby driver fucking rules. It is really good, and that's what Edgar Wright should be doing. Yeah, I'm glad he was back to making original stuff. It's sad that he can't work in the system, but I think, too, him with, like, I don't know, Quentin Tarantino, he always implies like maybe I will make a movie like this maybe I will make a movie like this like but he never having does him do involved it. in a Star Trek project I feel like he'll fall off again it's the sure. same Kevin Smith had this funny story about <laughs> how when Kevin Smith was writing Daredevil mm-hmm. Tarantino thought like maybe I could write a comic book and they found out how low paying it was versus <laughs> time involved he's like oh no way well, uh, what are the residuals right <laughs> Residual. Kevin Smith the comic so, book but Kevin Smith his love of comics outweighed his need to be paid for it uh, <laughs> uh, correct him out but Tarantino it also reminds me of um, Tarantino talked about how he'd always wanted to make a James Bond film or a Marvel film but it was like nah he, he just hates working in that machine he was even asked like somebody said that he was too cruel to Django and Django and Chain mm-hmm. and like how Django had to watch a slave be torn apart by dogs and not not reveal he was undercover. He's like, you wouldn't see James Bond have to go through that <laughs> James Bond movie. And then Tarantino said, in my James Bond movie, he would have to be silent while watching someone tortured to death. I, like, one of the, he'd put James Bond through that one shit. One of the rumors was that uh, I love the movie Layer Cake. Mm. Really good, but it was supposed to be directed by, oh, I just lost his guy, Richie. Uh-huh. And instead of one of his like protégés, Matthew Vaughn came on to save it at the last minute and cast Daniel Craig. We have James Bond yeah. because of a... Our current James Bond is because of a fired director. Uh, I was fascinated to learn that I don't know if anything was shot that Alex Cox was supposed to direct Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. The guy I love Repo Man. Oh, and that's wow. a, seemingly a really good fit. But both Hunter Thompson and Johnny Depp hated Alex Cox. In I script. believe that. And it's Terry, funny that Terry Gilliam is the was the better guy to work it's with. It's the <laughs> only reason the movie exists. Or that Terry Gilliam got to finish a movie. Because it, all the parts were in place oh, and it had to be great. done. Somebody did all the pre-production so he could, there, of course. There wasn't a bunch of things to end up being cursed. Uh, that, but And I saw that the reason why I think this is rare is because when you have investors and insurance and all this other, and, and release dates so set in stone, this is really bad publicity that you can never escape from and mm. it shakes people's financial faith in your product. And the only recent example I could see high profile was Dread, the phenomenal 2012 movie oh, okay. Dread. That directed by Peter uh, Pete Travis, who was 
rumored to have been fired and kicked mm. out of the editing room when the writer Alex Garland took over uh, in the edi- oh. in the editing room. No one really knows for sure what happened because they no one's really confirmed anything. They they both of them came out with a joint press release. We had an unorthodox collaboration during this project. I see. I am still the director. Alex Garland has not been like retroactively installed as the director and that put the issue to rest but for a couple weeks it's like what the fuck's going on in this project and no one was talking it means something happened and Dread is really fucking good well it's also a messy thing when you bring in the DGA yes the director's guild oh we will totally get to it it's great it's it's great and Alex but like if you look at it why is Dread so good I don't I haven't seen anything else Pete has done Alex Garland went on to make Ex Machina yeah. And, uh, well, and also that the director. It was a similar thing with um, the Born. The first Born movie was directed by that one jerk, and then he was replaced. <laughs> yes, but everybody I, said he sucked, and then when he was replaced, I hate the first like, Born. I it was so boring. It was so much better. The this the other two. The the director got what made Born exciting, which is many camera cuts all the time and never stand still. But after this, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to drill down some really specific examples. Uh, so stay tuned, people, and let's learn why these wonderful directors were fired from their projects. Wanted to tell you that this episode is brought to you by Geek Fuel. Geek Fuel Premium Delightful Mystery Box featuring six to eight items and an exclusive shirt. We always refer to Geek Fuel like a birthday present you give yourself or as a gift to a loved one every single month because Geek Fuel is all about brightening up your day once a month with cool goodies featuring your favorite stuff like Marvel, DC, Nintendo, Pop Figs, Zelda, Halo, Star Trek, Ghostbusters, Doctor Who, Game of Thrones, Futurama. The list goes on and on, ranging from pint glasses, cards, posters, shirts, comic books. And each box is guaranteed to contain $50 worth of stuff. And Geek Boxes start for as little as $14 plus shipping and handling. If that weren't enough, you can go to geekfuel.com slash lasertime and receive a bonus Star Wars item worth $20 absolutely free. If you're looking to put a pep in your geeky step, consider Geek Fuel. And if you want that free Star Wars item, head to geekfuel.com slash lasertime. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time Network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. I wanted, since you since you talked about the, the female version of it, I wanted to do a, a brief reading of what I wrote after reading the book back in 2015, which is a parody of Ready Player One where everyone's obsessed with the absolute worst of 80s trash culture. Uh... <laughs> Wearing the standard Gunter uniform of a faded Coors t-shirt tucked into pleated jeans, I began my 97th viewing of Hot to Trot. (laughs) Suddenly, Artemis appeared in my mom's rec room simulation. Her fluorescent green scrunchie shone through her crimped hairstyle. I just played a perfect game of Double Dragon, I bragged, indicating the Tiger LCD game still clutched in my hands. After beating Rude Dog's score in BC's Quest for Tires, I awoke on hardwood. I had to reenact the Heavenly Bodies aerobics contest. <laughs> Spuds McKenzie has long since taken over the Cadillac Cats. Heathcliff was powerless. <laughs> Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime.
Coming in with some music from a movie you should find familiar. Holy shit, we have to talk about that because it is an interesting saga of fired and ousted directors. Oh, Muppet um, Wizard of Oz. No. I love it. Jesus, Bob. That's, I, it, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about was Toy Story 2 mm. because it has an, a way more interesting saga. It's really weird. Yeah, I well, uh, direct a video first. There was like yes. that, was, that was at the peak uh, Disney Pixar fighting each other yeah, moment. In time. I'm so glad you guys know all about oh, yeah, this because this mean, was really fun to research. I read about it for a long time because it's, it's awesome that it came four years after Toy Story 1 and there's a reason. Yeah, because they didn't want to do it. Yeah. And I think Disney kind of forced their hand. We're going to make a Toy Story 2. We're making straight-to-video sequels of all of our other movies, so it's going to happen with Toy Story 2. And Pixar is sort of like, fine. We, Bugs Life is our baby. Mm-hmm. We don't give a shit. They put a very talented young man. Ash Brannon is assigned to direct Toy Story 2. Hmm. For Disney. For Disney straight-to-video. Mm-hmm. Disney sees the footage and like, well, this is a waste. Let's yes. go ahead and bump this up to a theatrical release. And the people at Pixar, it's just so strange. Maybe think about like, they're one of the only studios that still exists and functions in the Bay Area. <laughs> but they true. were like, we're not going to show this on a big screen. We don't mm-hmm. want our name on this. So like John Lasseter had to personally le- drop what he was doing and come on as a director, as does Lee Unkirk. And there's is technically like four directors on Toy Story 2. Well, just to get it done, and also the Toy Story 2 was in the weird position of they had a contract. They had a contract. Pixar wanted to run out their contract of like, oh, when we finish these five films that we say that you get to release right. from us, we'll make more money somewhere else. And it was even worse than that because the contract was for five specific films and like oh yeah Toy Story 2 doesn't count and they're like mm-hmm. what, what it's a technically a fifth film it's like we no made we made you another film we want five pieces of IP to put in our parks yep. this, Toy Story 2 does not sequel, count, but, count. Gonna, but you have to put it on the big screen and I, I thought it was interesting just because if you know the uh, Pixar's process is multiple I would say too long multiple years making yeah, movies but I like it's, that they it's like that's why you'll see Easter eggs of films four years yeah. down the line in movies because they're working on them that far out. It's also why Brave sucks. And there's no reason yeah. for Brave to suck. Like I think it's okay. I wouldn't say it sucked. I, I had fun watching it, but it was clear like that and Ratatouille, I was like, well, you could tell that there were problems. Well, Rat- Ratatouille I is love just, Ratatouille. I, I don't like Ratatouille. It's great in its weirdness. And Bob, it, reviewers are bad. I know. As a reviewer, <laughs> I agree. I hate myself. Uh, but, but Brave just feels like two different films mashed together. It really does, yeah. And yeah. it was clearly, I, oh, I didn't even write down her name, but she... She well, was fired mid-production. I only remember the director who took over because it's Steve Purcell, the creator of Sam, Sam and Max. Max. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but like Brave is the product of a fired director, and it just totally feels like two separate films. It's also sad because she was making the film about her relationship her with her mom. Like, yeah. So it was very personal. Was it her daughter? Her. About her and her daughter or her and her mom? I had heard it was her and her mom okay. was the issue. But then... then and then meanwhile, Purcell comes on and adds more of like the kids and the funny stuff. Brenda Chapman. The the weird thing in that movie that I was extra curious about is that they it has a very anti Disney stance of like, well, yes, it's nice you would want to marry your true love or whatever, but you not getting married will mean war and millions of death or hundreds of thousands of deaths. So maybe marry somebody you mm. don't give a shit about. That's like so weird. Yeah, I've never, I've never revisited, but I have revisited I Toy Story two a billion times. And I, I was love trying Toy to, Story two. Me too. I was trying to figure it out, like I wanted to dig up something and find you something that was cut from the film. I could not, but since we always play clips here, I really wanted to get a clip of Jerkass Woody because oh, it, the Toy yeah. Story DVDs are amazing, where they show the first cut, first storyboard of Toy mm. Story with Tom Hanks's voice and everything. Woody was a fucking asshole and completely unlike his character now. And this is a scene. From when Woody meets, Woody meets Buzz, is immediately jealous, 
and in front of everybody throws him out the fucking window. He can't, instead of the accident that happens in the film. Rudy, you deliberately threw Buzz out the window. Hey, it's a toy, toy world. Oh. Cowboy, where is your honored dirtbag? You are an absolute disgrace. You don't deserve to wear a 10-gallon hat on your pint-sized head. Men, search and rescue. I want a medevac team on the double. Hustle up. Move it, move it, move it. Whoa. Hey, spuds for brains. <laughs> what do you think you're doing? Off the bed. Hey, off the bed. You gonna make us, Woody? No, he is. Slinky, Slink. Oh, uh, you wanna hear Slinky? He's... It's the one voice missing. Slinky, uh. get up here and do your job. Are you deaf? I said take care of them. Uh, I'm sorry, Woody, but... <laughs> Not Jim Barney. Uh, I'm just but, a tip track. Wow, yeah, yeah. what an asshole. Yeah, 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 he had before. the late Don Rickles. Yeah, it's, they, they include a bunch of it on the DVD. It, I thought it was really cool of them. Yeah. But what I didn't couldn't find is what was so wrong with Toy Story 2 that with nine months left, they were given nine months to overhaul the film. Mm. Wow. And the way they did that, technically, it was a straight-to-video movie, and the mm. standards for those, I don't want to say are low, but the movie was... In the mid-90s, they were real low. The movie was about 60 minutes, mm. so they ended up padding... You pretty much what they already had. There, yeah. yeah, I'd say I, I love uh, all the movies. I think uh, Toy mm-hmm. Story One has one of the most perfect scripts, like Back to the Future, in terms of mm-hmm. like the pure uh, like mechanics and mathematics of writing a screenplay. It's like mm-hmm. one of the most perfect scripts ever. The only thing that cheapens the sequels a bit is that so in the part one, uh, Buzz Lightyear goes through his arc. Mm-hmm. And then he has nothing to do. So in parts two and three, he's essentially replaced with another character in his body. So part two, he's replaced by a prepackaged Buzz Lightyear who has to go through the same arc again. Yeah. Yes. And in part three, he's turned into like Spanish language Buzz Lightyear because Buzz Lightyear has nothing to do after Toy Story yeah, one. It's I, a very strange character. And I can't prove it, but that feels like one of the things you do to it, like basically give another act to a film. Yeah. To <laughs> make it to put it at ninety minutes. Well, because otherwise, when he's normal Buzz, he's just always like I. Agree with you woody and support everything you do yeah he like, just kind of bros around with woody and there's yeah. not much to him so yeah because pixar still works in like silicon valley culture we have an endless amount of money and <laughs> we will not release something or go back and redo something whereas like mm. hollywood's kind of a factory like if it's bad it gets released anyway mm-hmm. yeah uh yeah. but in, justice league has a date to hit they gotta do yeah, it yeah and in this case toy story just toy story 2 ended up being really goddamn good and got received a ton of extra attention really 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 late in the game but has has technically three or four directors mm. uh but then that's weird because if you don't know and we'll talk a little more about that later to what the director's guild rules is like there can only be one credited director on a movie or something mm. like that. I'm just remembering from Sin City where Robert Rodriguez had to resign so that Frank oh, Miller yes, could co-direct so it. Because yeah. live-action movies aren't allowed to have two directors. Which, that was nice of him, but then that let Frank Miller become <laughs> a director, which he Yuck. really isn't. Like, he's not. No offense to... You know, at some, at some offense, offense meant. <laughs> offense meant to Frank Miller. Though... I will admit, Frank Miller, uh, there was a funny tweet I saw recently uh, from a Bill Sienkiewicz, Sienkiewicz mm-hmm. who did art with Frank Miller, mm-hmm. and they had a made-up president in it who was pressing a big button. He's like, I want to press my nuke button. And then <laughs> Bill was say, Bill tweeted, me and Frank thought we were going too far with this satire <laughs> in the 80s. But, uh, yes. and, oh, and just one more thing to add. Uh, most of Toy Story 2 came together. The, my thesis here is that Toy Story 2 should have had every reason to suck and weirdly didn't. Yeah. Uh, and it what they padded the script with was stuff they cut out of Toy Story 1. The whole oh, opening okay. sequence of Buzz Lightyear's That's right. adventure, it was 
cut from the original film. There's a there's a oh, rough yeah. version of that. And it's amazing that that was amazing that it let them show off like oh do you think we couldn't do a space cartoon there look this yes. looks amazing yes. but somehow it? Andy Super Nintendo has Toy Story graphics it does it finally <laughs> finally happened and, and, and that's I, the bizarre thing about the Toy Story movies because the the Al character the plot of Toy Story two is Woody gets uh, separated and ends up realizing he's a collectible. A really cool story if you're a toy dork. Mm-hmm. Um, it lets you know that you imprison your toys and make them miserable by putting them in glass cases. Yeah, they, don't think about the cosmology of the toy story world. It's like an existential nightmare. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the uh, characters were fleshed out. Originally, uh, Woody's sidekick or Oh, what was Kelsey Grammer's character's name? Pete. Oh, uh, yeah. Prospector Stinky Pete. Pete. Stinky uh, Pete. He, like Jesse was a cactus. With no lines, so they fleshed oh. out. We have Jesse as a result of this crunch. That's beautiful. Like that is it, Joe it is. Cusack. She, she comes from the elevation of, of that. Well, I think uh, it lasted and, and, all. And, and Al, just if you look at Al's design, I love mm. this about Toy Story because the first movie I've rewatched it plenty of times. It doesn't look dated, with the exception of the human beings. Yeah, they look ridiculous. They really do. And they, but they kept that design consistent for the children. Mm-hmm. For, like Sid and stuff like they look horrible technically <laughs> horrible but then Al comes in and like the technology has progressed so much uh, by that point they wanted to show the stubble on his jowls so like that's that's the only when you re, if you rewatch Toy Story 2 just note the difference between Andy and the other children and Al mm-hmm. like it seems yeah. like two separate films and they put a dog in the movie just to show like hey here's a dog hair. with fur yeah. so go we nuts. couldn't do hair last time yeah. isn't this amazing I also uh well, this is talking about John Lasseter now, who's in, also in Hollywood jail, but it's that they didn't want... It, he definitely had a distaste for Disney direct-to-video sequels. Like He, sh- he shut him down. He, he shut him down, other than like the Tinkle Bell, Tinkerbell stuff oh, that, that couldn't stop. That's but. another part of the story. Like, yeah. Disney was just funneling Pixar shit through this factory thing so they could complete their contract. They made Pixar unhappy, so unhappy that they ended up shopping Pixar around to other studios. We mm-hmm. want to make shit for other studios and they had that power because I think of how fast and how well they turned around Toy Story 2 yeah we don't yeah. need to do this here at Disney like we can do this anywhere yeah and plus they, they did have Steve Jobs on their side too to help mm-hmm. them sell themselves like you don't want to sell Steve Jobs short in the story of Pixar but this is about the time where like I don't know if you'll ever see a deal like that in history like Pixar mm. being essentially given the keys to the rest of Disney which was having a lot of trouble yeah. in the same space that Toy Story it is and again it has flipped I think Toy Story movies are more boring than modern Disney movies. Well, now modern Disney 3D has kind of close to caught up with Pixar, like mm-hmm. Zootopia, Frozen. Frozen, Moana. I think those Moana, are better yeah. than Monsters University, The Good Dinosaur, Inside Out. No one talks Inside about Inside Out chicken. is the one thing I love. Inside I love Inside Out. No one out. talks about Chicken Little. Good. Uh, no, that, <laughs> I do every best. time because he's solidified in Kingdom Hearts Remastered right. out now on your PS4. Thank God. Well, you know that uh, actually that big changeup did happen on Emperor's New Groove. There, they, that's right. They, there is a ton of stuff. There is a people. secret hidden documentary somewhere out on the internet shot, shot by Sting's wife. Yes, Sting it's called was, the Sweatbox. Yeah, because she was shooting the whole thing as Sting was writing songs for these this <laughs> movie that wasn't a comedy. And then it all changed. Yeah, it was supposed to be a usual touchy-feely Disney thing mm-hmm. in, the, in the style of Beauty and the Beast. And then it turned into a wacky buddy comedy mm-hmm. with mostly like David Spade goofing around. And it's really good. It's I actually like that movie yeah. a lot. Uh, it was Patrick Warburton before it became like, oh, it's Patrick Warburton again. He's in everything. But yeah. it was. And Eartha Kitt fucking ruling in it, too. Yeah, like, she's great in that movie. Uh, but well, Lindsay Ellis on YouTube, she has a really great uh, whole video on how Emperor's New Groove fell apart. 
and just what inside Disney was like back then. She has tons of great Disney stuff. She had a really good one about uh, how Song of the South is just boring as fuck. <laughs> like, it's not even worth getting mad about. It's, it's why you only see the animated sequences, because, mm-hmm. like, the rest of it is really boring and washed out and mm-hmm. terrible looking. Uh, and I, I would hope that those animated sequences are allowed to survive somewhere. Because the rest they of it should be seen by somebody. Nobody would ever want to watch the. No child wants to see them. Anyway. And I know there's still problematic elements in the animation portion, sure, yeah. but oh, they're yeah. fucking beautiful, really good looking. Don't do it, Hank. You're gonna get in trouble. Okay. Um, but uh, speaking of Disney, I don't know. I pitched this to you guys, and Bob immediately. Had oh no! One word to say. Uh, let's see if the sweet lord. I I can't let this down. No. You know, you know your series is off to a good start when the opening song is a bunch of clips. Yeah. Get to the chorus. I actually don't know this. That's not the one I wanted. What yeah. The fuck? So bonkers. bonkers. Totally nuts. The Disney show Bonkers. When they showed it on Disney Afternoon, there was not that extended opening for some yeah. reason. But I'm the Bonkers scholar of the Laser Time Network, and it's yes, I have had sex at least once. Is it the death knell <laughs> of the Disney Afternoon? Uh, no. Uh, this was like okay, so. Quack Pack was the death. Quack Pack, okay. uh, Mighty Ducks, things like that. But I've been doing a lot of Animaniacs research because mm-hmm. we're doing an Animaniacs Retronauts. You probably have heard it by now. If not, go listen to it. Uh, For real. Uh, the, one of the reasons uh, Animaniacs succeeded in 1993 was because it was a great show. Also, its competition was bonkers. The show Disney launched <laughs> in 1993. Disney had been doing a great job with the Disney Afternoon. Uh, to, to this point, they had DuckTales, uh, Tailspin, Darkwing Duck, Goof and Goof Troop. Troop, which is okay. And Chippendales. And Chippendale mm-hmm. Rescue Rangers. This was a very tortured production, which started with a team making uh, their own show that they had ideas for. So Bonkers, Bonkers was turned uh, was teamed up with a very boring female cop named Miranda Wright. Get it, Miranda Wright? I get it. Um, hey, hold and on. I have some sitcom laughter. Okay. Play in response to that. <laughs> there we go. There we it's go. It's just delayed enough to work. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there were production problems. There were script problems. Uh, obviously, those are the worst. Yes, there are there are quote unquote the worst episodes of Bonkers. It's a very low bar to hit. Yes. But, uh, so there were 19 episodes of that produced. Disney made a new team, uh, paired partner, paired Bonkers with a new partner, very much uh, similar to Bob Hoskins and Roger Rabbit. Uh, someone better to play I mean, off of him. That Lucky is, Piquet. That is Lucky bizarre. The, the, it's rumored, and I feel like we can get a hold of these people, that this was supposed to be Roger Rabbit. And I'm, that I've read interviews, and they claim it's not. I bet yes. rattling around, this might have started initially as an idea. Sh- it, as yeah. an idea for Roger Rabbit. It has a lot of Roger e. Rabbit-y stuff and to it. I've talked a ton about Roger Rabbit. You can hear it in other podcasts. I wrote a giant article about it, but it's one of my favorite movies. Uh, but a joint venture when Disney was desperate that they cut with Spielberg and Zemeckis and giving Spielberg a shitload of power. They yeah, got yeah. in a fight, and Spielberg's like, I got other shit to do, man. I like animation. I'm doing Animaniacs. I don't care. <laughs> like, if you need, if it, this is going to be what it takes to go through all these hoops to get Roger shit done, I'm just not going to deal with it. And, and that, as oh. a result, Roger, the character, disappeared. But it's very strange because Disney still retains ownership to, like, everything, the minutiae around Roger Rabbit. You still see Toontown 
in mm. Disneyland with little tiny pieces of ride. Well, there's a ride ah. rabbit ride in there. This is a, this is set in Toontown. That to yes. me, that was created for Roger a, Rabbit. A legally distinct Toontown. So here's the thing. Here's the problem. So Animaniacs has a similar premise in that what if cartoons were real and they were actors? They interact with real people. It's so amazing. This is a very similar idea. So you're like, oh yeah, Toontown. So I'll see Mickey Mouse and Goofy and Donald. No, you'll see the proprietary characters we created <laughs> around Bonkers. You don't get to use Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. Mickey Mouse will be the plot point in an episode. He'll be the person you're trying to rescue in an episode, but you'll hear his voice and see an arm. Yeah. And you'll never hear the words Mickey Mouse. So he is in were, a box. Yeah, he's yeah, like in a cage. Be, I feel like this was supposed to be like Gotham of the Disney universe. Yeah, or like a bit, you, yeah. you would see what the cops who because in the in the game, the Capcom game. You're rescuing items from real Disney movies. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, in the Animaniacs episode, I asked you guys to watch for a podcast that you might have heard by now, listeners. Um, in that episode of uh, Animaniacs, uh, it's the 65th anniversary, 65th anniversary special of the Warner Brothers and their sister Warner dog. Sister and all of the Warner Brothers characters are on the show. Porky Pig, Daffy Duck, yep. Bugs Bunny, everybody, Tweety Bird. They're all there talking about the Warner Brothers. That would never happen on Bonkers. It's Disney so was just like, no. You get Fall Apart Rabbit, Jitters the Dog. <laughs> Uh, some other bullshit. Well, I, I don't mean, know all the characters. On other, on DuckTales, it was a big deal if they let Donald be on. Yeah, Donald yeah. was on very few episodes. Yeah, it was, like, it was, I think there was an odd rule in place that kept them from yeah. doing that. And it sucks because a few years later, like when I was too old to care, House of Mouse comes out and it's just like, yeah, all these characters intermingle and play around. Yeah, it's, no, fine. it's fine. It, bonkers could have used that shit. Because they definitely could have. In Bonkers World, it was also the same deal as Animaniacs and Roger Rabbit that... Toons are people in the real world who you film doing toon things, and they have toon rules about them. Don't you ever use a T word. But you, but you film them doing it. It's the same deal. The director of it is the director of a regular of a live action film in the same way. But it was also weird though that like Bonkers is a toon. But Lucky Piquel is supposed to be a real guy, but they're all drawn. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all. all I mean, they could not spend that much money, and I will say. <laughs> As much as Disney wants you for, to forget about Bonkers, as much as it's a very mediocre show, it's not the worst thing ever. It still has very great animation, uh, some of the episodes by Disney's internal teams in like Australia and France and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And Jim Cummings plays both of the lead characters in the better episodes, but mm -hmm. it's just like, this has never been on DVD, oh, so this has never been talked about, there's never been Bonkers merchandise at Disneyland. I dare you to find it it's if, one if of it the does exist. rare products that's not like... Viciously scrubbed from YouTube. Yeah. It's like completely discarded. Why the Bonkers was in that like their pilot program to the raw tunage show yeah. along with that cheetah guy or Supalami, which was an Ugh. existing Belgian yeah. character I he's believe he's even worse than bonkers he really man. is yeah but, the, but, but oh sorry yeah, he overshadowed like the, the whole team was fired after the first 19 episodes yeah after the first 19 they reassembled a new team to make 41 episodes with Lucky Piquel and that included a uh, like a, a an episode that where they kind of tagged off partners yeah, to make a, it all make sense and they had three more episodes shoved together of raw tunage yeah. shorts just to get to the 65 number you have for a syndicated show. Mm. And Bonkers, as a viewer of Bonkers, <laughs> it was extra weird to experience it in reverse of the show starts with the movie like Darkwing Duck did of a two oh, or yeah. three parter that introduces the premise of Lucky Piquel and his family and what? Bonkers being fired from working in he's, Hollywood. He's a failed cartoon actor. Yeah, right? who then becomes a cop and he learns... He teaches. He learns about the human world from Lucky. Lucky learns about the Toon world from him, and it's a it's a buddy cop show, which is it's an okay. Premise. Their dynamic is pretty good, I, I, but the show. Is and not so good. then, an experience though to watch the show basically have a series finale, and then nineteen more episodes is really weird because they write off every character they added. Wow. 
including Lucky, like Lucky moves to Washington, D.C. and joins the FBI along with every other character who wasn't in the 19 episodes produced. And then they treat those as they happen after. And Miranda Wright is now on the show and it's just... It's really weird. And she's a very boring character. Actually, the people The who... tone and style is completely different, too. And like, design it's design is different, dingy. too. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I will say the people who created those first 19 episodes of They're Bad, they went on to make Gargoyles. Yeah, which so, is much which better Which is a, an amazing show. And it was funny at the time, too. Made po- I was kind of enjoying Bonkers, but I was way into Animaniacs. Mm-hmm. And watching Animaniacs take shots at Bonkers... Totally. At least a few times. Like I had a feeling that the people in the animation industry knew this was a horrible disaster. So before the show even premiered, they were writing jokes about how bad Bonkers would wow. be. Slappy Squirrel had a number of times. Yeah, it's like, that show rots your brain. <laughs> she said, like... Uh, why people love cartoons okay not bonkers (laughs) (laughs) but that's also slappy squirrel was played by one of the writers on the show so i think that's why she got to have even more inside jokes i think this is the most anybody's talked about bonkers i want an award and also i'm going to disneyland within the next year i'm going to find one piece of bonkers merchandise a pin (laughs) something has to exist i'll go to japan disneyland i don't even care about bonkers (laughs) i just want to prove that somebody made something out of bonkers i don't think so i rest my case i don't think that's going to happen but i love that being a quest of yours uh, i will help you out in any way I can. i'm the bonkers guy online and now. i assure you folks we did a whole episode about creators fired that largely focused on tv run and stimpy community. yeah that, the run and stimpy story um, is a great story and so ch- uh, check out that episode laser time creators fired on all of your what do you call it bob podcatchers and all that shit mm-hmm. um but the, the movie i teased early on because this is crazy here's an odd question does wizard of oz hold up I feel like I can't I can't watch it. I saw it so much as a kid, I can't remove it from nostalgia yeah, at like all. They it was treated, just the event. They treated it, the annual airing on CBS like this huge event. Oh, yeah, and like that's it, where I saw it the most. It felt like all other entertainment stopped, and my parents and I would watch Wizard of Oz. And as a kid growing up in the 80s, this is a movie from the 1930s. That seems insane right they, now. In a world where Adam Sandler has three Netflix movies, why are we championing a movie from 1939? I recently watched the riff tracks of The Wizard of Oz, the original. Wow, really? And I was getting distracted by the 1080p Wizard of Oz I had never seen before it's nuts, in my man. life. It's like, oh my god, this is beautiful. I think it's it's been treated probably the best of like any movie from that era. Oh yeah. And uh, it, it just has this huge saga and it's so expensive and all of these directors changing place that like all I can see like when do you cut ties on a project? Well, it was torture for jo- Judy Garland to make it too. Like it was a troubled, troubled production yeah. from the beginning, and, and, just, and it was also made way before the auteur director theory. Like the director, the people who made the film was the studio mogul. They were the auteur. If anybody was of a film, and, and that's my, not a director. My question for you, those of you out there with kids, have they seen this movie? Do you have any interest in showing it to them? If they've seen it, does it matter? There's, I think it lacks a little bit of wonder for modernize about how big this production was at the time but like you know how it, they made it yes. now it's just yeah. like it was just out there it was an out there concept to put on film and expensive nobody made do. a thing that expensive and garish and yeah. crazy yeah. and I believe it had been made into movies before it has. Uh, maybe twice before this that this is a silent version I yeah. think that's full length and I saw a play of it and there's like all these sequences that the movie justifiably cuts out including a long long sequence with a shitload of skeletons uh, <laughs> oh man we miss skeletons I know right but we still got a hanging munchkin that's something right uh, can we dispel uh, they, that yet they also cut the jitterbug dance the uh, uh, I heard the three uh, men and a baby ghost was in that movie too but you, and the reason why I didn't go into it before in the previous ones I didn't have enough information because it's fate and production is tied with gone with the wind 
Mm. Like, well, you're right. Ever so completely. And the the credited for director for both of those movies, I'll spoil it for you, is Victor Fleming. But that's not how everything happened. Wizard oh. of, they're both hyper. They the same. They're both hyper ambitious productions. Some of the most expensive movies ever made at the time. I, I shit. I think. Uh, yeah, what Gone with the Wind was maybe more, the more expensive film. Sixty six million dollars of today's money. No one had put that into a no film way. Before. But Wizard of Oz began under the direction of Norman Herring, hmm. but he was replaced. He was replaced by Richard Thorpe, and he was replaced after a few weeks of footage was shot. George Cucker is brought in uh, to make Dorothy more realistic. And, uh, and he, that he's, he should be credited with that because when they write about how they were going to portray Judy Garland, like, oh, really? you ever see like uh, like like Betty Davis and what happened to Baby Jane? Oh, like blonde God. and makeup and sexy. Ooh. And like he's like, no, nah, none of that shit. Make her a real girl. Uh, She's still like, a bit too well, old good. looking for the role, but she, well, I mean, she it's a was, great performance. She was starving herself on it. Like, yeah. it's it, it killed it killed Judy Garland to make that. She was she was getting too old to be Dorothy by that point, but she she made herself a child still in that yeah. movie. And, and uh George Cooker leaves, and I'll tell you why in a second. Um and Victor Fleming is brought in, and even he did not finish the film. George, King of Vidur had to finish the film once he left. So that's like wow. four or f- five directors wow. that had worked on Man. Wizard of Oz. Meanwhile, Gone with the Wind. Uh it's yeah, costing a shitload of money. George Cucker. It leaves Wizard of Oz to that go. Cuck. To, <laughs> to, go, to go make Gone with the Wind. He had been at- attached to the project for a long time. Yeah. He had a lot of personal investment in it. Uh, made a lot of films with David Oselznick. And this this I didn't want to get too crazy with Hollywood gossip, but this is great. No one, it's not it's not clear why he left. It's mm. speculated, probably problems with David Oselznick. This being the movie he had wanted to make for years, this four fucking hour epic, uh, the most expensive movie ever made. But there's also a rumor mm. <laughs> that Clark Gable hated him, mm. and one of Carter's bi- biographers says it's because there's a chance Clark Gable did some things to survive in Hollywood before he was a big star. Uh, some of those being of the homosexual nature and that he he arrives to set one day and finds out it's George Cooker, this guy who knows oh, he knows what I've done and worked his ass off to get him thrown off the film. So I like that kind of old oh, I love old it. Tinseltown. <laughs> I love it. I don't yeah, I don't like truly that. believe it, but I I was dying to say it. Um and, <laughs> I mean Cucker directed uh he directed a ton of other great films. No, in all his these day, people did, but, but there's no way they're more notable. I'm sure they all also secretly murdered people and all the horrible <laughs> things like and molested all of their female yeah, stars. Oh, for sure. But yeah. he did My Fair Lady and the Philadelphia story, two of the greatest uh, of its totally. Time, yeah. But after so after a few weeks, who's brought in to fix Gone with the Wind? Victor Fleming. Victor oh. Fleming. Victor Fleming once again following George to direct the film in the same year wow in the same year and as a result guess what Fleming has to leave the production although he shot most he shot the most of anybody because he's fucking exhausted (laughs) let's let's remind like you're brought in to save Wizard of Oz and and Gone with the Wind in the same year yes I get why you're exhausted I would that would drive me crazy Uh, and so Sam Wood finished the remaining productions it's very 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 strange saga where like Bits and pieces were all directed by other people. Hmm. I, I wonder if you can really feel it in the viewing of it. Like, oh, this is totally this guy's well, scene or this guy's scene. I mean, by design, The Wizard of Oz is just a bunch of sketches totally. you know, about yeah. like things happening it's, in different places. And then they dance to the next place. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, like, I don't know how to describe it, but like a lot of those fairy tale Disney sagas are like clearly written 
as they as someone's going. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. always about a, It's always about a next episode where like, the character it, we encountered <laughs> someone entirely new. Look at Pinocchio. Like not set up beforehand. Now it's this adventure. Now his friends a cricket. He kills the cricket. Now, <laughs> now he's going to get outfoxed by a fox. Then Stromboli. It's all Stromboli. it's all a bunch of weird uh, sketches. But I, I wanted to touch. I'm, I, I hope I did this justice. I know I did not. But it's been written about extensively, and if some, it's the kind of thing somebody. What's that guy's name who made the feud? Make a movie about this. Make a movie oh, with the yeah, torture. Yeah. Simultaneous productions, and these are like they're not only the two most important movies of all time. Just they're the same year. Hmm. The same 1939. year. Nineteen thirty-nine. Two of the biggest films of all time in American film history, anyway. And that, yeah, it's all those directors, man. I mean, that's because yeah, like one, two, people three. talk about the machine of Marvel films, like. The studio system was way more. Oh, yeah, like yeah. so many they, movies were made. They bought those. They were making those two films because they were popular books. Yeah. The same as how somebody's like, well, this was a popular comic book. Okay, let's make it. All same of which are then. public domain. You can make yeah. your own Gone with the Wind movie right now, <laughs> but now. you can't have those red slippers because MGM can't. invented them. That's right. Disney had to license the. I love that story that Disney loved Wizard of Oz and somehow was able to buy Walt Disney, not the company, mm-hmm. was able to buy up the rights to Wizard of Oz and couldn't do shit with it for years. There's a <laughs> TV movie with Annette and Frankie, mm-hmm. and then they made Return to Oz in the 80s, one of the fucking scariest kids' movies of all time, because that's what they did with the license. Up until Oz the Great and Powerful, Disney mm-hmm. has been wasting the the so, theatrical Wizard of Oz license for decades. I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised that Tim Burton was given a chance to ruin it. It seems right up his alley. Yeah, like he made and that awful Sam, Alice in Wonderland movie. Sam Raimi effectively did the. I can't tell. I saw Oz Great and Powerful on a plane and didn't hate it. I saw it at well, a free screening yeah. and didn't think it was that great, but uh, I didn't hate it. But it's also one of those. It's one of those movies made right before Disney started acquiring yeah. everything in the universe. That's it, why you don't see them. It was also back when like Sam Raimi has such a boner for James Franco. It's like, <laughs> I can make James Franco a star. It's like James Franco doesn't want to be a star of billion dollar movies. He wants to he wa- he loves Tommy Wiseau and just wants to be him. He is Tommy Wiseau. If you like, didn't hear our best, I love that movie so much. I, I'm so embarrassed I hadn't seen that film when we recorded it. Now I've seen it. I love that film. It's great. I've seen so it too. Great. It is Everyone so betray me. <laughs> he wasn't replaced as director. He was not. He couldn't be because he's financing the whole thing. That's the way to do <laughs> it, people. Whole, real well, Hollywood movie. Guys, I say uh, stick around because the thing I did the most research into was the saga of Superman 1 and 2. Mm, you oh. think you heard it, but I have so many more details and information to tell you about, and we will when we get back. Thank you guys so much for listening, and if you like listening to stuff, it's a good thing this episode is brought to you by Audible. And before I tell you more about it, know that you can go to audibletrial.com slash lasertime and get started with a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial of all Audible is. What is Audible? They've got over 180,000 different titles to choose from, ranging from audiobooks, comedy albums, radio shows, some of my favorite old-timey radio shows, and you can listen to them all on your iPhone, Android, MP3 player, desktop, tablet, doesn't matter, wherever you can plug in headphones. Audible's got all your, your bestsellers, your Game of Thrones, your Harry Potters, the latest biography from whatever comedian is you like, and they have become my go-to place to get audiobooks for an incredibly low cost. So once again, that's Audible, people, and you can go to audibletrial.com slash lasertime and get a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial of the service. Is the world of today getting you down? Well, then why not check in on some of the good stuff that happened this week in movies, TV, games, and more 30, 20, and 10 years ago this very week with our show, 302010. Here's a clip from 1998. 
much more notable, terrible movie, Carrot Top's Chairman of the Board. The one and only <gasps> Carrot Top starring vehicle in my town. This movie came straight to the 50 Cent Check and Run Theater. <laughs> it, it had its premiere there. I am not going to play you a, a clip from the trailer. Instead, mm -hmm. I'm going to play one of my favoritest clips uh, on the internet. My favorite ever talk show appearance. Norm MacDonald is on Conan O'Brien, who is interviewing Courtney Thorne Smith, the leading lady of Care Top Chairman of the Board. And Norm MacDonald does the most unprofessional thing I can imagine <laughs> someone doing on a talk show. But uh, what's the movie going to be called? Well, really? I know what it's going to be called. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> if it's got Care Top in it, you know what a good name for it would be? What's that, Norm? Box Office Poison. <laughs> Jump into the past with 302010 every Thursday on lasertimepodcast.com or iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Five, four, three, two, one. fly uh <laughs> only if they spend a lot of money on it i and don't know this is this the saga of superman in general mm. is insane because there is seemingly no live action production of superman that doesn't go through some form of torture it's, and it it's happened impossible he, it's the central focus of justice league like whether oh god yes seriously yeah. like whether you're considering like well you fucked up with Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman or this person isn't available his stupid mustache is CG'd out Superman is problematic to a movie that came out recently just as problematic as he was to make a movie in the 40 40 years ago to try to make a movie in the 90s to, to try to make an animated shorts yeah. in the 30s do people just in in our modern era within the past 50 years are people just extra anxious about Superman because he may be too wholesome or maybe viewed as too uh, like too simple for it's, a modern audience. In the seventies, they felt in that the, way. Yeah, about a, yeah. I think I think part of it is that Superman is one of the most recognizable IPs in the universe, and I think most people wouldn't dare approach. I don't want to deal with that shit. Right. So it's I mean, like that's such pressure. When you break it down, it's like, what's he do? Everything. Everything. He does everything. <laughs> He's good at everything. Can do everything. It, it's it, it is hard unless you're even even I can't say I know what's best with Superman. I've read a ton of comics. He was, of course, the first comic book I'd ever read. He's the first superhero, period. Uh, but it's... I don't know. People. I think people considered it foolish to approach something like that on such well, a grand scale. Well, it was scale. like, that's why the classic Superman people knew of until Christopher Reeves was the original, the, the 50s of Superman. Mm -hmm. And in that, like... He doesn't do anything. Yeah. Like they, they just say, <laughs> like "Well, those bullets bounced off me." I anyway. swing into a window. Assume I flew here. Yeah. Assume that I could lift you up and beat you up, but I'm Superman, so it you was. Know. It was. It was admittedly a difficult thing to pull off. And as a little kid, when VHSs and video stores started popping up, I loved these Super Superman one and two. Mm. I didn't think of them as camp or cheese or anything like that. I just loved them unironically and wholly. 
I don't know if you had that same situation. They had this look to them that I associated with being very boring, just like the the seventies look. And, and I was just like, I'm checking out of it's, this. It's I keep talking about that just because Star Wars is so hyper seventies. Yeah, mm -hmm. playing Star Wars Battlefront two in ten remastered in four K in sixty frames a second, but everything must be done in the style of nineteen seventies. <laughs> All mean, the kiosks and the consoles. It's crazy. I'm sure uh, they're great movies, but when I was a kid and, uh, you know, having access to TV, it was just like, this looks like all the boring movies they put on on Saturdays and Sundays really? just to fill time. Like, that, all the boring 70s would, movies. Half the time, it would depend on when I turned on the afternoon TV on the weekend and a Superman movie would be playing. If it was the Superman action, I'd be like, yeah, Superman's great. But if it was the talking, I was like, this bores me. I don't... It was my same reaction to seeing a Godzilla film on, like, TNT, which mm -hmm. was... I don't want to see this talking. I am watching this Godzilla film to see a Godzilla fight, and I didn't realize like you hold that those films held that back because if the entire film was Godzilla, Godzilla will get old to you. You need and there's there's also human scenes. a specific reason to that I don't want to jump ahead here, but I will. The theatrical cut was one of the few things the Sulkins didn't mm -hmm. sell off the rights to, mm -hmm. so they got to distribute. They're any, bad people. Any version of the movie they wanted, including a like. 200 minute version of the film that didn't screen in theaters because that was the one that Warner Brothers owned. So if you yeah. grew up as a kid, you watched an outlandishly long Superman movie on TV. I, I just I was just reading about it that like in this used to happen a lot with films that they would just deliver this film to television stations like pay the rights show here's the film cut it however you'd like. <laughs> yep. Like I think now you get things in packages. The I studio. Mean, that's how MST3K got to exist. Yeah, because they had those films yeah. just shoved out. And that's why some of the movies. the rights are so hard to find for MST3K because this specific cut belongs to us, probably an independent television station that no longer exists. Or all of those Film Ventures International's cuts, which were just yeah. like, uh, we'll buy the rights to your movie as a clip package, and then they define a clip package as the entire movie followed by clips from another movie. Yeah, yeah, it's, fuck <laughs> it's fucking nuts. There's <laughs> fucking like, Sandy Frank, eat shit. Yeah. There's like no definitive version of, uh, what is it, The Last Unicorn, because there's mm. like, it's, it's heartbreaking when you read those stories that people who grew up watching the TV cut, they buy it, and like, that's not the one I saw, mm. because of this weird... Well, the Salkinds, like they they made their bones making a Three Musketeers film. Okay, hang on. Okay, I got, all right. Let me introduce this, this ladies and gentlemen. Mm -mm. We now begin the Superman saga <laughs> from a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway, from the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look up on the screen. Superman. And this, like, just imagine you're a nerd. You read all these breakdowns <laughs> about Marvel movie trailers. This is the the TV spot, like, name-checking Fortress of Solitude. You're going to mm. go to the Daily Planet. You haven't done this before. You've there are never not, seen You've it. never seen this. This is not only one of the first real superhero movies. It's the biggest superhero of all time. And all of you know what all this means. You know what Krypton means. I just find that bizarre. Yeah, Starring I mean, a real actress like Margot Kidder and and uh, yeah. Hackman. Those, those are our players. All our I play remember of the TV series from the 50s was a lot of office buildings and men in gray suits. And yeah. that's basically it. It's, it's super cheap, but kids loved it because kids yeah. love Superman. But this was... 
this was to please current kids and older mm. kids like the people we are now getting to enjoy Marvel movies. But to, but they're also making a film post like Chinatown and Godfather. This is this is when films and all the president's men. It's when films have to be important. Yep. So they're making yeah. a Superman film within that as well. We have a, a movie starring Christopher Reeve, newcomer, a kind Woo. of an unknown, uh, Margot Kidder, but also two Oscar winners, which will create constant issues as we go about this saga. Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman. This is the most expensive movie ever made up until this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's one of the most expensive productions ever, ever, ever in undergone. I remember watching the show Soap in Mm -hmm. reruns on Comedy Central, (laughs) and they had tons of they had tons of topical jokes in that show. And one episode is Billy Crystal's character just came back from seeing Superman. And he says, I'm just saying for $80 million, he should be flying around in the theater <laughs> right in front of you. And that's, and that's I don't know, not, not to deviate from Everybody our saga. Everybody harped on how expensive it was. But it, that was the marketing campaign is you will believe a man can fly because mm. like everybody just assumed like you can't really do that. We'll and, see a bunch of strings like in that shitty old show. Yeah, and there, there's sequences in there that are like on, in these movies, these 1970s Superman, that are genuinely impressive. Like, holy shit, he's like flying between things. However, mm. I saw Spider-Man turn off the dark on Broadway. And they surpassed any flying effect in this movie, and they had a frame to work with. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 yep. so slow. Superman's flying like it's slower than you would ever believe. The, the, like every single superhero with flight abilities usually has a moment where they like crater into Earth and like make this huge impact. Superman is going like two miles. I'm just thinking of Puma Man. Puma Man. <laughs> yeah, that sh- that's how hard it was. That's yeah. a great example. He flies like a moron. Um, uh, the screenplay, by the way, which just. I guess at this point, this is going to be the biggest thing ever. Let's, you don't, you need to consider who's right for the part, not mm-hmm. just like, well, we can afford to get Gene Hackman and Marlon Brando. And like, do you need to? He's gonna, these people are gonna ask for a lot. And we'll find mm-hmm. out later. That's gonna doom, doom a little bit of the production. But they got Mario Puzo, yeah, <laughs> the writer of The Godfather. To- they wanted to treat it like this is a real movie. Mm-hmm. We're making a real. This isn't Superman. What you think it is? We're making a real movie. That's how. I think, too, uh, you see that a little bit in the Golden Globus movie, that they're mm-hmm. just like, when we want respectability, we'll throw money at everything. Exactly, yeah. and that distinguishes it from the, the Golden Globus uh, fourth movie. But, like, David and Leslie Newman end up doing some rewrites. It's extensively written. Tom Mankiewicz, there's too many writers to be credited, so he has. It's if you look in the top-line credits, he, Tom Mankiewicz, who did extensive rewrites, is credited as a creative consultant. Because wow. there's not any screenwriting credits left. Because they produced WGA a 550-page shooting script. Holy God! For these Woo. two Superman films, page a minute is how it's normally supposed exactly. to go. Exactly, and some and somebody stepped in and like immediate like this cannot be done. Mm-hmm. You do not need this much. Yeah, it's, it's, it comes out like the general rule of thumb is a page a minute. Mm-hmm. Putting this at 550, <laughs> 550 minutes. What does that break down to? I can't. That's do math like well. that's one extended cut of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and, and some of these are and like these. This can't all be talking. Some of these are action sequences that will be a little longer and more expensive. Yes. Holy shit! What are you thinking? Uh, and that's they try. Ten hours. They try and find a director. The whole saga of trying to cast it, like DC is throwing their weight around. In the, that they like they approved only a certain amount of people. We want Dustin Hoffman or Muhammad Ali to play Superman. All really cool choices. <sighs> yeah, Al Pacino. Oh and my like, god! There's this and the, to direct. There's this young guy we'd really like, uh, Spielberg. And I that they, 
there's a quote of like, let's see how his little shark movie does before we <laughs> give, him, give him the invites. And so they waited. Had they not waited, they could have had Spielberg. They might have gotten Spielberg. Wow, that could have been his first post Jaws film. But the player they did get, Richard Donner. Mm-hmm. I think we would know him for going on lethal to direct weapon. Yeah, lethal weapon, Goonies, and Scrooge. Scrooge mm-hmm. is now a modern Christmas classic fight me. Yeah, but yeah. you would not have known. You kids would not know who Richard Donner was in 1977. Mm-hmm. Um, 1977, he, but he was hot off The Omen. And I always forget uh, about that. That Donner, proves he could make a big special effecty thing with yeah, famous people. That he got his start in horror, unless you count his two films before that that none of you have ever heard of, but one of them starred Marilyn Tyler Moore and Charles Bronson, and the other starred Peter Lawford and Sammy Davis Jr. Huh. I didn't even bother to get the names because you've never seen them. I have not. And you probably never will. But I know that Richard Donner, like... Later, comic writers such as Jeff Johns got their start being like interns for Richard Donner, and Richard Donner loves Superman. Yes, he he had a real love for the character that I doubt the, the Salkines were going to bring to. He him. was he not only I think mostly throughout Mario Puzo's script. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was done. Remember, oh, and I love what we get to mention this. This was done <laughs> in the shadow of the most successful comic book adaptation currently in the universe. It has still Batman. The Adam West, Burt Ward, 66 series. And that's the tone the Superman script was written with. Mm -hmm. Funny, funny, funny. It's it's camp, camp, camp. And Donner's like, fuck that shit. Mm -hmm. You need to approach this seriously. And he consulted on a full rewrite of everything. He claims, Donner claims that none of Mary Puzo's script was used because it was unusable. I believe that. And and, and, in, in that respect, we have him to thank for Batman and pretty much... Batman 89 and pretty much any superhero movie we have today. I mean, I've heard that Mario Puzo is uh, not a great writer. He just mm-hmm. captured the zeitgeist of mob mania when yeah. it was just taking off in America and that that was The Godfather. It was turned into a much better movie. Italian exploitation. I wish it was alive for that period. <laughs> but Donner, he brought in the importance of Krypton mm-hmm. and all the science and how he was brought up and that he was a child of small town America who then goes to the big city mm-hmm. and he really... One of the best things about that Superman film is that everybody thinks Superman is corny except for Superman. He's like, no, I'm not yeah. corny. I'm just cool. Like or, I, That opening shot of Justice League is perfect Superman to me. Yeah, totally. That's not corny. And it's that's the problem when you try to overcompensate on Superman to make him serious. It's mm-hmm. like, no, he needs to just be Superman and the world will bend to him or he exists within it. He doesn't... The world doesn't change Superman. Superman changes the world. And that's, mm. I also thought uh, Christopher Reeves and Margot Kidder have amazing chemistry in it. Like when she challenges him to guess what color his uh, her underwear is, he does it. And it's like this, it's like he's hitting on her. And there's also just this great scene of where you see him say like, oh, actually, would you like to interview Superman? And he takes off his glasses and <laughs> starts standing up straight. And he's like, no, wait, I can't reveal I'm Superman. And he scrunches back down and acts like meek Clark Kent again. Uh, and just it's there's beautiful stuff even though there's also a shocking moment in the beginning I forgot that like Lois Lane is introduced by asking how to spell like a rapist thing she's like what about this rape on story I was like whoa <laughs> it's 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 so weird I, I have I've always I always try to revisit the, these movies and it's kind of difficult they're mm-hmm. very very long and some of the they are very long. all the endings suck <laughs> uh, but we I have to also introduce you to another major player the Sulkins. Ilya yeah. and Alexander, producers of fa- famous for European films, not notable for making splashes in America, but without them, you wouldn't have a superhero movie. And it seems bizarre. I, fuck, I meant to triple check this. 
when did Warner end up acquiring DC? In the 70s. So, in the, it was National Comics. It only became DC in the 70s as a rebrand. Yeah. Named after Detective Comics. So when you, the when you see series the credits, you don't see a Warner Brothers picture because Warner didn't seem to want... They didn't want to make a Superman movie. They were movie. not inter- that interested in making a superhero movie, but we have the character, so obviously we'll help you with financing. But like the first credit is not Marlon Brando, is not Christopher Reeve, it is... A Sulkin's production with no oh. Warner Brothers logo. Mm-hmm. It's fucking insane. These people worked with Warner Brothers who seemingly were a little, in, I'd say at least at the best, indifferent towards making a Superman movie. Pretty much. Meanwhile, yeah. we are CGing mustaches because of how desperately we want superhero, <laughs> Superman on screen. Well, they've only uh, cared currently. after the fact that they have it. They're like, when they see somebody else do something, when they see Marvel do something, usually they're like, that is when some executive gets mad high up and like, we own superheroes too. Why, why are we doing that? I've seen a and please people. I've seen a ton of movies. I have never heard any uh, of anything the Salkinds made before Superman. Well, because you don't give a shit about the neither do I about the Three Musketeers. But theirs you, was apparently a heard good of, film. You've, yes. heard, you've heard of that Three Musketeers? Uh, I don't know when. When do we start this up? Three Musketeers and Four Musketeers, a huge success. Uh, but it also uh, led to the Screen Actors Guild issuing what became known as the Salkin Clause, huh. uh, which is the, uh, the you can have to guarantee an actor uh, con- who's contracted to a film cannot be extended into two films. They have they must be paid to be in two films. You can what a scam! And why did they do that? Because they embarked on this Three Musketeers epic. And movies like this are not. You may think they're long, but they're not made like this anymore. They're not made as roadhouse shows with intermissions. That like there is essentially two parts to the film mm. and and that's what three musketeers was supposed to be but three musketeers uh directed by another player richard lester oh. New, yep, yep. over over budget only, over production they mm. were not going to make the release date of the three musketeers so they stop production they get the they get one movie out of it and then put that out into theaters and continue shooting what would eventually become the four musketeers so everybody who had signed up for one movie are yep. now making two movies but they were only paid for one they were movie. only paid for one movie not fair so uh yes but it also set a template the sulkins say look we've done this before on accident <laughs> let's shoot two movies at the same time since we've got everybody here Let's just keep making it. Beginning in March of 1997, shooting began, and shooting would continue until March of 1980. And because of this, I think I grew up with the idea that movies took two or three years to make, not like the, what, the six weeks of Marvel production I read about Mm -hmm. nowadays, (laughs) or shooting Star Wars two years in advance. Yes. Uh, Oh, by the way, DC bought national... Well, actually, so DC was National Periodical Publications in 1967 was bought by the Kinney National Company, who would later buy Warner Brothers in 1972. So that is when they so, yeah, all became they, the same company. I was pretty sure they were owned by the same people, but it is... We're make it. This is the most expensive film ever made, but in fairness to us, it's two films. Yes. So it's totally worth it. Yet it's still way over budget. And mm-hmm. Warner Brothers is having to... It's distributing the film. It's not making the film, but it keeps having to help finance... This movie budget that's not budget. their movie exactly. And how do I have uh, super? It, the movie is way over budget. Warner has to step in. Like it's already costing fifty-five million dollars of nineteen seventy-seven money, and Warner Brothers has to step in with up to an additional twenty million throughout oh production. Ouch! The Sulkines are uh, claimed to be unorganized. They kept calling Donner uh, like behind schedule. And he's like, dude, there is no fucking schedule. <laughs> you did not make a schedule in this at all. I would bet that the people who accidentally made two Musketeer movies <laughs> probably they're the ones who can't make a, yeah, a major film. It's safe to say, but it's still a beautiful notion that they failed 
backwards into like, yes. and, and I do, again, I do like these movies. I have tremendous affection for them. I think they exist. We'll get, we'll get into it in a little bit. Um, they lost more than a million dollars during production uh, on flying apparatuses that didn't work. They didn't technically know how to make the film. That I think they were testing. Like it's an experiment to even do it. Yes, like, that when films like this and Star Wars at the time got made, they invented special effects for these yeah. films because you couldn't do it. Uh, the, the technology didn't exist. It, they were science experiments as well as films. And I really. think, unlike Star Wars, which came together, I think Lucas had to make a lot of compromises because of things that were in a script that they couldn't reproduce yeah. in the film, whereas Superman's like, no, he has to do this. Yeah, This, this must is so, happen. People expect Superman to fly. In yeah. Star Wars, you don't expect anything. It's mm-hmm. a new universe. But when you buy a ticket to a Superman movie, you're seeing Superman fly. Like That's what you're paying for. And my favorite thing about the Sulkins being unorganized, they started production in Rome <laughs> and then immediately learned that uh, Marlon Brando cannot go to Italy. Because there is a uh, worn out for his arrest. Oh God! For an obscenity charge related to last, still the seventies. Should be in prison at this point. Well, no, it was, it's from the content of the movie. Oh, not from the actual. Yeah, not from it, not happened. from an act. From yes. from the Just movie from it being a dirty, dirty film. It's a dirty film, and uh, but but at the time, remember, at this time, it seems like an insane production schedule. Mm. Things are not being shot. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, with con- continuity. Just filmed whenever they can. Film They're something. squeezing in the production of two movies wherever they can, and everything's delayed. And they eventually have to say, Richard Donner, you got We got to stop production of production. Stop. You need to finish Superman one, and we need to get that in the theaters. Mm. About seventy five percent of Superman two is in the can. Hmm. Donner leaves to go work on the edit for Superman one. And guess what? Uh, we'll come back to this later. We'll all we'll all get back to it later. Just go finish Superman one for now. Trust us. We did it with the Musketeers. <laughs> Everything's going to work out fine. <laughs> uh, so Superman finally comes out and huge it's hit. huge hits it is number two of the it's the second highest grossing movie of the year it was released I dare you to uh, guess what movie top the 78 box 78 office. oof uh, boy any uh, which way you can close no. encounters of the third kind no uh, it's and it's it's Godfather ho- part two no where is what's my it, what's a 78 movie uh, yeah that's I think that's why you'd have trouble Love with it story? I'll get it right and it's it should embarrass you consider how much Superman cost. Movie would be Grease. Oh, oh Grease, Grease out. How much do you think fucking Grease cost? Its Grease biggest was, set is a, is a high school. It's the number one movie of 1978. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the highest well, I would guess Grease probably cost like ten million. I would or say something. I would say like one to three. Yeah. Like a In bunch of money. unknowns. Sorry, a I bunch mean, of all those dancers. They're not cheap. Vinny Barbarino. He's there. Yeah. It's on well, screen. But no, I mean, also Superman came out at a perfect time. Like blockbusters existed now like thanks to star wars everybody was like well i'm ready to see a ton a big movie in a theater mm-hmm. like it's time for a blockbuster movie in the summertime it's, it's almost it's i don't i don't have a lot of successes under my belt but i've had some but that pressure of like well this actually worked and you got to finish this one and make sure it's <laughs> fucking great too and in and, and the whole world who's paying attention knows that there's another one coming mm-hmm. uh they know that there's another one coming so we're all amped to see Superman 2, the adventure continues. There is something evil in the skies headed for Metropolis. Three outlaws from the planet Krypton with the same powers as Superman. What? Wait a minute. See, like, I, I, I actually, I love the second Superman. I love... Uh, 
Oh, I love what's his name? Uh, Zod. Zod. Yeah, I, well, I mean, Terrence Stamp is Zod. Is Terrence great. Stamp. It's, it's so, amazing casting. That's the only thing I think that's really lived on the most is the Zod stuff. I think so. Yeah, out of these movies, it's because made Zod his second best villain after Luthor. It's uh, in in it was originally shot to be like a cliffhanger. Hmm. Back to the Future two and three. The the nuke, yeah. the nuke goes off and like fr- that's what frees Zod from the Phantom Zone. Right. And, and yeah. Donner's sort of like nah, fuck that. We don't like finish this we don't need a cliffhanger Listen, yeah can... one is a complete story there is no cliffhanger into two they really function well as two films but it's so well, in, in, at the start of one you see mm-hmm. them imprisoned so it sets them up as the villains of two you do see Zod Nan and Laura Lyra so here, here's yeah. where problems start to arise like mm-hmm. with Donner and uh, the Salkins the Salkins are like I mean they're not speaking uh, no. <laughs> but like they they say, hey, you know what? Um, that contract we signed with Brando, which was insane. That like mm-hmm. Brando got how how much do you think he got of the entire gross of Superman in exchange for being in super? Oh, doing he got twelve days. I thought it was just big. Mo- uh, just uh, he was twenty twenty percent. It was eleven percent. That's still a lot. One actor who's in like minutes of footage. Wow. Got and Brando. They, and they didn't give it to him. Around. They didn't give it to him, and he Brando sued them and won. 50 yeah, million dollars wow. from wow. Superman. In case uh, our listeners don't know, Brando was notoriously difficult and crazy for the I last sh- 30 years of his life. He was he was people would pay him so much money to appear in shit that he never saved. We didn't even talk about fucking Island of Dr. Moreau, which yes. he helped ruin. But there's a great documentary about that. Oh, that oh, is fantastic. So good. Yeah. We talked about it on 302010. I'm sorry for not talking about that further, but we're getting a lot out of Superman. So the Sogans are like we don't want to use any more brand, Brando footage in a second film. Uh, and and but they filmed it. Into that, Donner's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> the, the father, the guy who tells him everything, who talks about everything. The, the movie's going to tell you about these old Kryptonians. There, like, there's even like have quotes of like, no, nah, I would have killed this producer at this point for like, <laughs> for saying that kind of shit. So they're not even speaking, brought in for some reason to mediate is Richard Lester. <laughs> Richard <laughs> Lester, director of Help and a Hard Day's Night. Uh, which are great films, yeah. great comedies. Yeah, uh, and three also director yeah. of Three Musketeers and Four Musketeers. Donner's sort of like, what the fuck's this guy doing here? Why is he mediating? Mm-hmm. People start to get vibed that something bad's about to happen, and then mm-hmm. he. But according to according to the producers, they said they asked Donner to come back, and he declined. Donner reports like, I got a termination. I think he even said like a telegram. Like that's how I knew I didn't have to come back again. Mm-hmm. And Richard Lester, the the once mediator, is brought on to finish Superman 2 what's left that would be that would prove fairly difficult um, due to DGA requirements Lester had to reshoot uh, thoroughly completed sequences it's I think just because oh, they couldn't use them because oh, Donner made them God. you can't have two directors credited on this film and you can't use this footage shot by Donner because over wow. 50% of the film needs to be shot by you so completely recreate stuff remember you're also dealing with people like let's say Gene Hackman who's a busy guy and yeah. also went to bat for Donner. A bunch of people yeah. did. Uh, in, 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 in the minor downtime in between the two films, the cinematographer dies. The production oh, designer God. dies on, on Lester's first day of filming. Oh, God. Uh, Tom Minkowitz, the writer, refused to return uh, without Donner, as did mm-hmm. Gene Hackman, as did John Williams, who turned his attention towards indie darlings, Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> and the Lost Ark. So none of these people wanted to come back and help wow. shoot. If you look at Gene Hackman's footage... That's the that's what the most of the remaining footage, because they have to use a body double or cut to wide shots. Wow! And you can totally uh, like it's in like 1080p, a, you can totally tell. It's like an Ed Wood movie. It's, it's fucking like, get Gene Hackman's chiropractor. It just it makes the it <laughs> makes the film industry seem so young to me because I wasn't mm-hmm. born at this time. But this 
technically wasn't that long ago in the history of the medium. Like, they're doing the best they can to save this production. That's just so sad that, like, success ruined them. Like, if it had been a less successful film, they wouldn't have had... They wouldn't have lost the money to Brando that they thought they would. And they wouldn't have... Then had to fuck with Richard Donner, but also, like, this... That is one of the weird remove I have in watching in watching Superman and this one, and mm-hmm. I think I didn't read it's Superman too that I didn't realize is uh, the reason for it as a kid. But like, it's Americana filmed in Europe, and it's just it. You feel a, a certain pilot, removal baby. from it. Yeah, and, and and part of I, I I didn't have these complaints as a kid. Richard Lester changed the tone of the film. There's a the ton of comedy, and I loved it as a kid when they're blowing the breath and the dudes like mm-hmm. talking in the phone booth that's turned upside down and to pays fly off. Like that shit didn't happen in the first one. Those are Lester touches, and I think if you're, I I, I think I'm too young to know someone who's super dorky and passionate about the Superman movies. Mm. For me, I was just an unquestioning kid who loved them dearly, loved them both. We might be getting to this, but wasn't Donner's cut restored recently within and the past five years? That has, like that? and that's again that that's the world just. A little over ten years ago. Okay, that, that, not, like, not not too long. We're so starved for <laughs> superhero entertainment that can you imagine a company reembarking on restoring a cut of a '70s movie yes, now? It's like, pretty crazy. Nuts. Just Adam Sandler will make 16 Netflix movies in his sleep. Just yeah. go, yeah, yeah. What, they what, really, are the, what are the Smosh guys doing? Steal something. They from released Red. a thing called the Donner Cut, which is as close as they can get, but it was never a finished movie. He, so. There is no end. There was no ending. Yeah. So they have to essentially st- borrow a bunch of shit from the first film. It's mm. it's an interesting watch, and it started because uh, fans started recobbling the shit back together. They had and some footage. To Warner Brothers' credit, like leaned into that, and like it's just an astronomical amount of money, in my opinion, to spend on recutting Superman to the Richard Donner cut mm-hmm. that he who he he couldn't even work on. He said it was still too hard. There's a great behind the scenes documentary of it that whitewashes all the shit I just told you. Like, there's, it's not in there. So Richard left. Uh, so, so Donner left. I'm like, no, that's not what happened. Yes. A bunch of other crazy shit happened. But it does talk about, like, that footage still existed, and we had to truck six tons of film footage to go back through and see what was... So they done. had to refilm, God, and they yeah. show it. They show like this. These are tr- literal truckloads of film. They like in sort 2006. through dailies or whatever mm-hmm. and see. Well, which take do we use? Which uh, which coverage do we use? That's crazy. And I think legally they couldn't officially release any of that anyway in an assembled form. Maybe in a DVD and deleted scenes, but like mm. you got to assemble this director's cut if it's going to be his cut. It's not really his yeah. cut. But I just it just see, it makes me feel like we grew up in such a much more quaint world that that, that someone fought <laughs> well, this hard to remake the Superman, Superman films were just even doing a sequel then was seen mm-hmm. as like oh that's gauche like that's that's the story of like why Empire Strikes Back was underestimated every thought like well sequels are garbage no one watches sequels like so that's how they they they, they looked down upon it same with uh, Superman they didn't see Superman as the start of an entire universe of films or uh, films they'd make eight hundred of afterwards like. It was just a silly thing you and, do once. And it's fun. Lester would direct Superman three, which is the fucking death knell for yes. any major interest in that yeah. series. It's a Richard Pryor movie, right? It's a comedy because that's uh, what he does. And was there ever a good Richard Pryor movie? I like the toy and Brewster's Millions. Brewster's Millions is fun, but Silver Streak's all right. The, the thing that's oh oh fun- oh, what's that white collar movie? Uh, it's fucking great actually, where he's just like acting. It's not a comedy. Holy shit, it's really good about factory. The, the factory thing workers. that's fun about Richard Pryor, it can't be filmed. It's has to yeah. he has to do it live for you he can't be like and take 17 like that's that's not what's fun about Richard Pryor Superman 3 is so lucky that Superman 4 exists to be a worse film than it like, yeah. Well, yeah it would be the Blue bottom color. if not for 
Golden and Globus. Like, and, and that's and that's what ended up happening. Just imagine we keep talking about that Warner Brothers having so little interest in its film that it lets this this schlock movie house take yeah. over Superman for their biggest character. Yeah, the big the biggest. But character. then again, in the eighties, Marvel did the exact same thing with Spider Man. Yeah, they did. And they and talked a lot about it, Henry. Yes, you just didn't get I to did. make anything. That was that's what inspired me to do this. You're <laughs> like you're looking into the the troubled thirty year road Spider Man took to get to film. And I will say that the the Donner and what Donner didn't get to make with two, I think cast a very long shadow over Superman. Mm-hmm. Like there were talks of, well, should we make it this in the Donnerverse? Like fucking Brian Singer had to make his Superman film basically a sequel to Superman two. Two, yes. But Donner's Superman two. And it's, uh, it's crazy. And it, but but the- it's just a guy in imitating the Christopher Reeves films. Like it's I would suppose I'd say it is a better Superman than Man of mm-hmm. Steel. Mm-hmm. Man of Steel is just cruel to the idea of Superman. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Superman Returns is in a straight jacket of nostalgia, <laughs> but at least it entertains you. What, in what's that the one with Kevin Spacey? That is Returns. Returns. Okay, it was pointed out to me at the time wow. that so, yes. Lex Luthor's evil plan was taken from a Pinky in the Brain episode. And it's true, it was. Yeah. I'm a mouse and, in a robotic suit. And, <laughs> and now the uh, long shadow that's cast off of Superman Returns is the multiple pedophiles that worked <laughs> on it. But I would say that uh, it's it's just been a problem. Like, now they just need to do do something with Superman. Like, I, in Justice League, you get flashes of what I could just, assume is Joss Whedon Superman. try Metallo first. That's what yeah. the, all the comics do, all the games. You and rip off the, just rip off the DC Animated Universe. It's what the, the best moments of Justice League were from ripping off the DC Animated Universe. And uh, I guess this also, the Brian Singer mention takes me to a recent replacement mm-hmm. firing of a director that he had. Oh, that's right. He had... <clears throat> uh, emotional <laughs> problems and exhaustion on the set I of mean, the queen film to his credit he sounded like a disaster outside of allegations being <laughs> yeah on, no his, his behavior on the set let's call it guilt-based sleepiness <laughs> yeah well that's i would say perhaps uh if someone had a lot of guilt about committing crimes and was worried that they would be caught for their crimes maybe they would do a bunch of drugs to then not have to think about that but maybe you're getting older and you can't handle all your drugs anymore that you do when you're, um, you know, molesting children. But anyway, the cute, the, cute, uh, the cute, that queen film will never be made. I remember yeah, that somebody like, already stepped in. It's, it's still going. I know, but it's, I've been wanting to see a queen film for forever. I love queen, yeah. but the, like they were going to make, did you hear the story about how, uh, Borat was going to make the queen yes. film and that his problem was like, Everybody cares about Freddie Mercury. They don't care about you guys, but you guys keep trying to make this a story of Freddie Mercury and the rest of the band. Like, no, your lives are unexciting. And and like Solo, it will be more famous for the rest of its life as what happened before the movie came out than what happened after. I'm glad that Rami Ishmael and Tom Hiddleston got his ass fired off that movie if that's what happened. Yeah. And uh, another Actually, film I, would, with, I say it happens rarely, but with the current climate, I can see it happening more happen and fucking more. more. I bet. I mean, like, uh, one thing we didn't talk about on here was the He-Man movie. If we talked about the Masters of the Universe uh-huh. film then, uh, know that we talked about it before it was revealed that the director was a long-time L- child... Lecherous child molester. Molester, who, in one of his most high-profile victims was Anthony Edwards. Oh, right. Who just came out and named him That's Gary Goddard as it, who, by the way, is in multiple business ventures with Brian Singer. Oh, boy. Pretty mm. uh, pretty random, huh? Pretty oh, weird. So Gary Glitter and Gary Goddard. Never trust yes. the double Gs. <sighs> Gary Goddard. Watch, watch the documentary The Open Secret, guys. 
Take well, a that's, look. That sounds like a good way to bail out of this show. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. But that's that's direct. Let us know what we missed or what some of the stuff you wanted to talk about. I just wanted to dig deep down into Superman too because I don't think it's one of those things that I think is worthy of a documentary. Yeah, or a, it, a real tell-all about There's it. A, the, the a two and a half stuff. hour documentary about what happened mm. to super to Tim Burton's Superman. Yeah, I think this is more deserving of that because it's just it's a it's a younger Hollywood story and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's to me fascinating. Again, I'd be curious to revisit the films or hear from any of you guys who might have might do that on a regular basis. I think it's a little too old to be one of my personal favorites, but I fucking loved it in the '80s. I really did. Mm-hmm. I really did, and and that's. Yeah, we mentioned that at the top, didn't we? That there was a TV cut that the oh, Salt yes, Kinds yeah. did own, so it got thrown out all over the place. So you probably saw it on TV. That's why there's been like a million different cuts of the movie mm-hmm. because they just shoved out different versions you all mm-hmm. saw on local television to fit a three-hour block mm-hmm. of time. And I find that bizarre because Warner Brothers has just like put this out in like every format forever, and just only now is like, nah, eh, the interest isn't there. No one cares about these <laughs> Superman movies anymore. They're nobody Superman anymore. It's strange. You're all too old. Strange to feel. And they're, they're still somehow, I think I'd rather watch that than Man of Steel. Oh, yeah. No, I'd rather watch OG Superman than but Man of Steel. Henry and I have watched Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman Extended Cut. Done yep. full-length commentaries that you can get by being a patron on laser, patreon.com slash laser time. Or if you don't want to support us at that level, you can just go pick them up a la carte, uh, lasertime.bandcamp.com. Mm-hmm. You can hear me complain quite a lot. I... What but you get every commentary we've ever done, which mm-hmm. is hundreds, by becoming a patron, in addition to a weekly bonus show. I remember doing the commentary on Batman v Superman and just laughing out loud, like, oh, yeah, this is the part where Batman grabs that knife and stabs a guy. Like, <laughs> just like, yep, that's what happens. Like, uh, we had good times. And, uh, we, yeah, I would tell people to listen to the Spider-Man Homecoming one we did where yeah. I delved deep into the history of Spider-Man films and how it took so long to make I them. mean, it, dude, I was researching Ant-Man and just like, yeah, fucking Stanley was out here in the 70s. Like, I think Ant-Man has got great, but like, seriously pitching an Ant-Man movie. Selling deals for decades oh, and decades. What is wrong with but, you, Stanley? Uh, <laughs> uh, and if you liked all this behind-the-scenes chat, uh, we do a podcast about behind-the-scenes and the history of The Simpsons. Ooh. And uh, actually, I guess when you're hearing this, we probably did an episode that it ties in a bit to this, the radio Radioactive Man episode about the troubled production and of a Radioactive Man film in Springfield. We talk a ton about superhero movies. Up and let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, everybody. Uh, this is Bob Mackey. You can find me wow, on Twitter. Whoa. I never I hear that. Never, I never hear that. But I'm on Twitter as Bob Servo, and I have nothing to say about superheroes. But if you want to talk about bonkers, <laughs> I'm your guy. Let's let's talk bonkers and the little I remember of bonkers. And my other podcast is uh, Retronauts. Uh, I do Talking Simpsons as well, but Retronauts is my classic gaming podcast. Every Monday with an occasional bonus episode on Friday, uh, go to Retronauts.com and look for Retronauts in your podcast machine. These guys have been on it plenty of times, and I always recommend people, if you're looking to get into the show, there's tons of episodes. If you feel yeah. overwhelmed, find a topic that interests you, and you'll get to know us and the way we talk about video games. I think yeah, it's we a good did way to get into it. Animaniacs episode yes. uh, that you can check out. Yep. A Tiny semi-sequel Tunes to uh, the Tiny Toons yes. thing we did a couple Another years ago. Another one I really love. And uh, and uh, a pseudo-sequel to this show, uh, Creators Fired, something you were all, all around for. Really, really fun. Yep. I think Henry and I were both on that. Yep. Yeah. With Diana Goodman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check that out all at lasertimepodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We do other shows like 302010 where we look 3020 and 10 years ago. Uh, that's We went really hard on uh, the Richard Stanley drama of the Island of Dr. Moreau, which uh, should yes. have been mentioned here. I don't know why I spaced on it. I think because I just did a ton of research and grabbed clips. And there's a great documentary out, I think, called Lost Souls. But essentially about where that director gets fired in the middle of production on like in a foreign country and disappears in the woods and culminates to me sneaking back on his own set as an extra check out Lost Souls it's a great doc 
Never watch Island of Dr. Moreau. No. <laughs> um, but yes, thank you so much. Patreon.com slash time. We will see you next week, people. Bye.